If only creativity had a Konami code. Welcome to the Church Mag Podcast. Private Church Social Networks, five questions with Church Mag author Rachel Bloom, and posts from around the web. Church intranetworks, or Christian intranetworks, basically think of Facebook, but just for your church. And I don't mean like a Facebook group that's private that you invite members uh, from your church, which, I mean, that could be essentially considered a church intranetwork, but a lot of times your church CMSs or like the Table Project, uh, these different web apps where you can establish uh, a, a little walled garden social network that is just for your church members. Guys, what do you think about this walled garden church social networks? I mean, I can see the. I, I think there's two, two sides to this, as there are most discussions. I think that it makes sense as a communication vehicle, as a organizational tool, but I think that if it becomes a... Um, a refuge from the dirty world of the internet, then we're not being salt and light on the internet, and that can be a problem. So I, I think it has to be a way that where you, it's part, if it's part of your church's DNA to organize your church around a social media platform, and you're you're large enough to where you, you see the need for an internet you know system, it, it might make sense for you to organize that way because you can it, you can tailor the system to your your church's needs. But if if it becomes a way of hiding from Facebook or Twitter, then I think it's it's actually preventing you from being the church to the world. Right, like Church Mag, we have a back channel, a essentially an intranet or a closed network that that we're in. It's much like you know, like I said, it's like Facebook, but without all the other people. It's just those in the Church Mag Authors Network. But like, like I said, we call that a back channel conversation stuff that you don't you don't talk about in front of everyone else. We're able to communicate with each other. So you see that that kind of back channel communication as something different, right? It's one thing if like the pastoral staff is a back channel way of communicating, like beyond like SMS, which what our church uses. We just text each other. But uh, I think there's some software. I actually looked at a few for our church a while back, and uh, there are a few that really, um, they, a lot of them are packaged now with your church's like uh, database software. So like our uh, our membership suite would come with a could come with a uh, full featured social media network where you can um, plug people into small groups and, and and other kind of ministry groups where there's an online component where those groups and teams can communicate online uh, privately so they can set their own stuff up. That way, I mean. It, in a way, it might be cool to see a usher team communicating on Facebook and see that interaction in the real world. But uh, maybe there's times you don't, don't want that communication out there publicly and you have a, uh, your private channel for that purpose. I don't know. I could see it going either way on the issue. Right. But, I mean, we even have even uh, another level of direct communication even with the, the Church Mag Authors Network, and we just use email. So in those situations, you would just use email, I would think, for that kind of, you know, uber direct back channel kind of communication. Jeremy, I'm sure, I'm sure you have some sort of pushback or maybe this time push forward. I don't know. Um, Well, it's interesting about this topic because I've actually helped develop a Christian social network um, specifically for military people. And it was a place where they could log on, they can do all the Facebook stuff, like you just said, but at the same time, they can, whenever they go to another base every three years, they can actually see what Christian organizations are at the next place 
They can connect with people just to ask how it was whenever they were there. They can sign up to be volunteers, to put their kids in youth ministry, to join Bible studies even before they get to that base. So it's an interesting conversation to have of, is this something that you want? Because I helped install one for like a quarter of a million dollars. But at the same time, if it's not the back channel talk and I don't justify what I did as back channel talk, I'm almost completely against it solely from the standpoint of it's it's never going to work because how many times, how hard was it for people to get onto Facebook before it was popular? How hard is it for people to get onto Twitter because it's not popular? Dustin Stout, we're going to reference you again. People don't want to get on Google Plus because it's not popular. So why in the world would they want to get on your church if it's for anything more than back backlink or back talk? Back talk? Did you just say back talk? Yeah, are you back talking to me? Back-talk. When you say popular, I think what you really mean is populated. Yeah, popular. <laughs> Which is often the same thing, right? It's as much about being populated as it is about trying to get something that's actually useful. So if if it's not populated, I think the other version is is that a pastor goes in there and makes a hundred different events, posts all the photos, um, that's super engaged. But even though nobody's there, people start to get engaged because of it. And so it's possible to use something like that. But in the reality, it takes so much work. For one person to be able to do that. I've never seen, I, I've seen a couple different youth networks and I'm going to just throw them under the bus though. There's the youth specialties um, social network that's explicitly for youth workers. And the thing is not very popular. It's a great place to go get information, but I never engage on there like a social network is supposed to be for. Right. And I think that it's important to understand that this, in no way are we being anti uh, intra-social network at all in what in any way, shape, or form. I, I think what we're pointing out is is that you have to look at does it work? Is it going to work? Mm-hmm. Because I, I know as popular as some of the Google Plus communities have become, Church Mag has a Google Plus community and it is essentially dead. Uh, because they people are active in other communities because we all only have but so much room or so much bandwidth to to be engaged in community. So creating yet another niche, unless you can really bring something uh, uber-specific, like what we've done with the Church Mac Authors Network, you know, a real tight-knit community, unless, unless you can have that, it's just not going to be successful. Right. You almost have to have that community established in a tight-knit way and then choose a platform to use to communicate rather than try to create a platform. Yeah, and that's where I think that, that some churches need to take in consideration using tools like a social cast, for instance, like what we use, um, something that can that's free to use to, to just kind of test the waters. Because if if this network ever got big enough that it needed to be expanded somewhere else, we would do it. But until then, we'll just simply keep using the tools that we have instead of you know dropping down the expense of a self-hosted network, whether it be through the database software like you talked about, Phil, or the multi was it multi-million dollar project you were talking about, Jeremy? Well, and I think that if you get theological about this, you almost have to for something that's um, this. I mean, it costs this much. And so if you want to get theological about it, what does it mean to set yourself apart from the world and not be invested in it, as well as trying to share the gospel with people? And I think that you can seriously hurt yourself if you create this whole wall garden. And it's almost a, a relationship between Facebook and Google. Facebook has, doesn't want to have anything to do with Google if they could benefit from it. 
and yet Google is trying to reach out and engage with them. And so if we become Facebook to people, nobody's going to be able to get in, and it's really going to hurt us. And having another place to check in at. Well, I was going to say that with, uh, as it is now, I, I've, I'm really trying to get more into Google+, Plus, but uh, the mo- most people I, I see on there, they're posting the same thing they post on Facebook and Twitter. It's a problem I have on, like, I, I've, I've liked people on, on Facebook, and I follow them on Twitter, and it's almost always the same content. So it becomes, for me, it's, okay, where do, where do I want to follow you? Where does your content most fit the platform? And I think for uh, the church needs to figure out where are my people at, what content am I going to share, you know, what's my majority content, and what platform best fits that. So if you're a church, if you're a pastor, if you're the IT guy at the church, and you're looking at these intra, these social intranetworks, what is your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation is to is to find out where your people are, find out what their comfort level is. If your if your people aren't on the internet at all, starting something is going to be very tough. If if your people are already highly engaged in one social media platform, getting them to convert to a new one is going to be very difficult. So I think you you need to. Um, Profile your people, figure out what's going on there. At the same time, if you're a medium medium sized, a smaller church, you've got no business spending money on a, on a social media intranetwork. It's just not the the benefits might be there for a mega church of ten thousand people, but if you're not running that much, you can easily tailor, uh, you can easily customize current social media networks like Google Plus and Facebook to make it work for your people. Don't spend money you don't spend. You know, if you find that a lot of your people are on Google Plus or Facebook, you can set up pages um, that are that are closed, you know, kind of invite only right. for both of those platforms so that you can kind of build where everyone is already at. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely would agree with yeah. that. Jeremy, your, your thoughts? Well, I totally agree with what just Phil said because it's talking about the target audience, and that's one of the things that you need to set up before you even engage with people online. Um, and I always go back for some reason to the Disney song of go to where the people are. Anyways, um, I think that at the same time, you need to know how much you can invest in something. And so if you can only invest an hour a week into social media, then you really should not be thinking wide net and as much as possible. You should be trying to target some specific point engage well with people and not worry too much about the content that you're writing or all the different platforms that you could possibly be engaging with. I think that it's key that you make it a priority to spend on one social network and do the best you can on that network. And so if you found the network, go all in in that one place. If you found that you can invest more time into something, then maybe jump into a network. But if you don't do it well on one, then what's the point of going to a second one and making them both worse? Yeah, I definitely think that the field of dreams sort of approach doesn't work when it comes to approaching a social intranetwork for your church. If you build it, that doesn't mean that they're going to come. On this edition of Five Questions with the Church Mag author, we have Rachel Bloom. Rachel is... In Germany, she's actually Dutch, uh, another Church Mag author that adds a lot of international flavor to Church Mag. It's great to have you on, Rachel. Thank you. All right, first question that we have for you. Which do you enjoy writing more about, church and technology or youth ministry? <laughs> a youth ministry, definitely, yeah. I have a big love for the church 
Um, I have a big love for technology, but I think my my biggest heart is for youth ministry. So if I had to choose uh, between the two, I would definitely write about youth ministry. Definitely. And of course, I asked that question because I wanted everybody to know that even though they may know about you and have read your stuff on Church Mag, that, that it's youth ministry that's really your niche and you write some great stuff. So in the link dump, be sure to check out some of the other places that Rachel writes as well as follow her on Twitter. She's got great content because I know we've got a lot of youth ministers that listen, that uh, that read Church Mag as well. So, all right. Second question, Rachel. Name your three most favorite blogs. Blogs. My three most favorite blogs. Um, well, I'm not going to say Church Mag because, I mean, that's too obvious. But. That's not fair. That's not fair. Then it's really like you're only saying two, and that's just, that's not fair. I, it's just too obvious. I don't like obvious. So, well, I think from my favorite tech blog is definitely Mashable. Um, I mean, you know, they're they're really up to date with everything that's happening. And if you want to stay, um, you know, informed of, of, of technological developments, you, ha- you definitely have to read that blog. Uh, it's just it's just a lot. I mean, if you haven't checked it for three days, then you have like 200 posts to read through. But um, in, in technology, that would be my favorite blog. Um, in youth ministry, mm, it's kind of hard. Um, in youth ministry, the blog scene has changed a lot the last few weeks. Um, Josh Griffin, who had the number one blog, just left his blog uh, more than Dodgewell, started a new one. Um, so it's kind of hard to say what the favorite blog is because everybody's sort of moving around and, and, and regrouping. So I'm very curious to see what, what, what that's going to look like. But I think one of my favorite blogs is, is Mark Ostriker's blog. Oh, uh, why is Marco.com? Because he always makes me think. I mean, he's kind of a rebel with a cause and always, you know, go against the flow. And I love that. I mean, I don't I don't always agree with him, but he definitely challenges me. So that's two. One of the blogs that I really enjoy is um, a Protocol magazine, which features personal stories, um, often with a faith based um, background. And I just love reading these stories because they show real life stories from Christians. I think one of the things that, that really bugs me is that we hear too much of a, you know, a happy gospel that if you just, you know, follow Jesus, everything will work out fine. And what I love about protocol is that you read the stories about people who struggle and still find God and still, you know, go the journey with God. So it's, it's, it's in my opinion, a really encouraging blog. I, I just love it. Yeah, I've seen, I've read a few posts from there as well. Definitely some good stuff there, and we'll have those links included so people can go check that out. You're absolutely right, Rachel. The third question we have for you is probably the most personal question, and that is, where do you keep your mobile phone at night? (laughs) Downstairs. (laughs) I have, you know, for a tech blogger, I am... Somewhat embarrassed to say that I have an ancient mobile phone. I do not own a smartphone. Um, I have an ancient uh, Nokia that still works. I hardly make any mobile calls. So, in all honesty, because I work from home, because so in all honesty, it's just downstairs where it usually is on my desk. You know, it's like the accountant who doesn't have a balanced checkbook. It's like the psychiatrist who is a little bit crazy. It's the tech blocker. The tech block. The tech blogger who doesn't have a smartphone it's it's perfect really i mean it's on my list 
seriously, I, I'm dying for an iPhone. It's just, you know, it's really expensive here in Germany. And since I work from home, I just, you know, I wouldn't use it that much. It's not worth the expense. Exactly, exactly. When you do leave the home, you need to, you need to capitalize on that and just enjoy some time disconnected. Yeah, definitely. And when you are disconnected and you walk outside, you are in Germany. Yes. So tell us the fourth question here, Rachel. What is your favorite thing about living in Germany? Oh, that would be Munich. Um, we live in the in the south of Germany in a very small town, a very small village, um, about three quarters of an hour drive from from Munich. But Munich is is an awesome city. I mean, if you know anyone is ever there in Germany, you have to visit Munich. It's it's a wonderful city. It's green. It's friendly. The people are nice. It has a lot of you know interesting sightseeing stuff. But it's just an amazing city. I mean, the, the they have this huge park in the in the middle, sort of like Central Park. Yeah, it's just. I mean, I've spent days there and I still haven't seen it all. So my favorite thing about living here would definitely be Munich. Yeah. Well, sounds like I'm going to have to pack up the fam and drive up there. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Hop on a train. Do something. Sounds exciting. Rachel, fifth and final question. What did you want to grow up and be when you were seven years old? <laughs> I wanted to be a reporter. Awesome. Yes. My parents are still laughing about that because I would write my own um, magazine articles and sort of cut and paste and we're talking literally cut and paste. I mean, we didn't have a computer back then, so literally cut and paste my own magazines. And I just wanted to be a reporter. I wanted to write the news. I wanted to, you know, write about people. And so I, that's what I did. Actually, I studied journalism for a little while and then changed directions. But I'm back to writing now. So, so you are like living the dream. I am. I am. I'm a that's blessed awesome. woman. I'm a blessed woman. Definitely. And, you know, and you can you can see it in your writing, Rachel, whether you're writing uh, an article for Church Mag or you're writing for one of the youth ministry sites that you write for, no matter what it is or what it's about you can always tell i think it's really reflective in your writing that you really enjoy what you're doing i do um one of the things that i have discovered is that it's not just the end result that i enjoy i really love the process so i'm i'm really inspired by a blank screen and just the process of writing so i don't know you know what's going to happen in the years to come but i'll definitely be writing something that that's for sure All right, time for some top posts from around the web. First up, Phil. Phil is actually being considered for Batman versus Spider-Man 2020. He's going down, that's all i got to say. Um, uh, real quick, I mean, I, there's two articles on CNET, and they're nothing really in-depth. They're um, too mind-blowing. But uh, two articles on the CNET in the past week about uh, 3D printing. And uh, I've written about this before for Church Mag. And it's those kind of things where you, you you saw it in the Jetsons where you press a button and the machine makes a 3D object like a oh, we need new plates, we drop the dish or whatever. It's incredible technology. Right, compared to the, the Flickr photo group that people submit 3D printing errors or when they run out of printing material, right? Oh, man, my 3D printer in a paper jam, and then this looks ridiculous. This is a massive step in towards a, towards an incredible future, and I, and I think it's really important that we, see, we, we watch this develop. I heard a report a few weeks ago about uh, NASA f- finding a way to 3D print uh, pizza in space for astronauts, and I I don't know where this goes. At what point can we 3D print biological life or, or organs for people who need them? This is a growing area. This is a, a 
weird place to be technologically. We're, we're, we're seeing things grow incredibly fast. And I just think that we need to be watching this, uh, this segment of technology as it, as it rockets forward. Wow, that is an interesting aspect that the church community and Christians will have to you know, think about as, as far as that goes. Because at face value, it may seem all right, but I know there's a lot of, a lot of different ethical issues that surround that, for sure. I wonder, in a spiritual sense, is it bad to 3D print your communion? Ooh, he's got deep there. 3D print your communion work. Like wafers. Dude, McDonald's, don't they 3D print their food? <laughs> it's like all the same machine. Well, let's be honest. The body of Christ is in Big Mac. Is it in uh, 3D printed food? See, now you're getting, now you're getting into some deep, you know, transubstantiation stuff here. And I'm, well, it's, too, it's too early for that. It's going to be talked about, that's for sure. Well, I'm sure they will be. Did you say you had another link? One of them was about uh, 3D printing a skateboard, and one guy 3D printed uh, portable NES. Like he made a, it's not a, it's not a Game Boy; it's like an actual NES, but it's a 3D printed handheld system. So basically, you can 3D print your skateboard. Yeah. Wipe out, get hurt, 3D print yourself a new leg. Yep. The, there's no ceiling to this. This is where technology is going. You can 3D print guns. You can 3D print. I mean, pretty much anything. You can if you do it in pieces. You could probably 3D print a car. But we have NSA, so it's okay. The government will know that you printed a 3D gun. I saw a T-shirt today that said the said at the NSA logo and says the NSA, the only branch of government that's listening. <laughs> that was great. Wah, wah, wah. Jeremy, you got a post or not? Or do you have a pushback? I don't. I, ne- I can never tell with you. All right, so mine is from justinwise.net. If you haven't visited Justin Wise. Then you ha- obviously haven't been on the Internet. Obviously. I'm only in my own little area. But... He talks about this one post recently of social media consistency and what does that mean. And so the article itself is actually um, just different ways that you can engage well online. And he had noted that people don't know how to engage well online to make great content. And so he laid it out there what he does. People were super surprised about the amount of time he put into it and all the different things he did. But he just lays out how he does it, what he does, and why he does what he does. And the article is called How to Deliver Social Media Content Consistently on his website, Think Differently. Amazing post. Totally all for the idea of making great content, putting time into that as opposed to putting time into marketing yourself. Because as much as you already said, Eric, if you make it, they will come. A lot of people don't believe that they can make great content, and so all they do is spam people on social media, and yet it's the people that make amazing content and put stuff out there that actually do get the visitors. And so there's enough time put into making quality stuff to read, and so I never want to go back to your website. Yeah, that definitely is a a situation where if you make it, they will come. I mean, that is the key, hands down. When you when you get past all the people that are trying to sell you something, or my favorite are the websites that are dedicated to only social media, it's like, well, what, what else are they going to talk about? They're going to talk about promoting. They're going to talk about tactics, which is their tactic to get you to come to their website. <laughs> And the only good tactic is to great, write great content. Absolutely. And I know even, you know, as Church Mag spins out posts every day, there's a real balance with that. And something I may write about in the future and, and finding that balance of 
of quality content and for fun content and for passing along information content because there is uh, this quality versus quantity thing is is a real tug of war. That's that is for sure. I guess I will say that another tactic is to get one of your friends to become a movie superstar, and so we're going down the right path with Phil trying to get on board with Batman. So there is that route. Absolutely. Absolutely, I have no doubt. Guys, you can ride my you can ride my coattails, or if you prefer, my cape tails all the way to the bank. Hey, I'm a, I'm willing to be part of the entourage. Which which part do you think you're gonna get? Do you think you're gonna get the actual Batman role or the new villain Sausage Fingers? You know, it's hard to say. Batman does have quite the extensive rogue gallery, so there might actually be a villain called Sausage Fingers. I don't know. <laughs> There is always the possibility of doing the voiceover for cartoons. I'm willing to be part of that entourage, too. Oh, definitely. Well, if we're doing voices, Phil is Batman, hands down. You've got the part, my friend. Here's how big of a fanboy I am. Kevin Conroy is the voice of Batman uh, in the animated series in the 90s and a lot, of, a lot of the newer stuff. He has one of the best Batman voices out there. Wouldn't even dare compete. I'm impressed. I'm thoroughly impressed. That's right. I knew a voiceover artist's name. That's how much of a nerd I am. Jeremy, can you do that? Can you name a voiceover person like that? I got nothing. Mine blown. All right. My post is from Tim Chalice. What will be the cost to the church? Uh, this link was part of the first Church Tech Snack Pack on Church Meg. Um, and basically, he asked the question, quote, What will be the cost to the church if young men continue to give themselves to pornography? And it is an amazing post, and as it addresses this, this cancer really is what it is, this cancer that is infected the church and the minds uh, and men in the church. Um, pornography is so easy to to find. Um, we all have a computer. We all have a device. It is literally a few clicks away. And he just talks about, you know, what is the cost going to be, the, be to the church and what are we going to do about it? And uh, even as far as church mag goes, we are essentially letting out a war cry and a rally cry to really address this issue because I think it is vitally important to the future and health of the church. And it just it doesn't seem like anyone is willing to, to take this on. I don't know if it's because it doesn't get page views because no one wants to share content that, that tackles the issue of pornography or if it just makes everyone squirmy because, you know, last week they just looked at pornography. I'm not sure exactly where it's at, but somebody's got to put their foot down when it comes to pornography in the church. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Eric, on both your points. I think that that's part of the that's part of the reason why uh, it doesn't get addressed properly. And I think that part of it too is because uh, it. Gosh, I don't even know how to how to even diagnose this this topic. Um, Maybe that's part of the problem. Yeah, we need to really look at how to diagnose that and. You know, I I'm willing to to get the ball rolling in that. I'm I'm not sure. You know, I've I've put out a call a po- on a post just asking people. You know, what ministries do you know of? What resources do you know of? Just anything and everything, because I know it isn't just tools that's going to help this issue. I, I realize that it's going to take some tactics, and really, pornography is an issue of the heart, and it isn't just about behavior modification. But honestly, we need. Every possible weapon that we can get our hands on to fight this beast. Well, and I think that as far as we want to push this kind of a topic, that so many people just need to take accountability for this private life that's going on. And 
I don't know, as you said, Eric, I don't know too many places that actually take a stand against it. They would, I mean, you ask them the question, they're like, oh, yes, we're totally against it. But to actually go forth and spend the real estate of blog articles, I don't know how many people have actually done so. They might have said pornography is bad, but that's about it. And I think that discussion's overdone. And so I totally agree. And hopefully the solution's not a walled garden, just like we were talking about, but it's actually let's fix the situation and make people more whole. Well, as we record this podcast and that that initial war cry is posted on the Church Mag blog, let me tell you guys verbally that this is something that we are most certainly going to try to lead a charge on. Not because we feel like we're all that and we should be leading the charge. It's just I have seen and heard of, of too many lives ruined from this and quite frankly I'm sick and tired of it. So I want to punch it in the throat on that heavy note you can expect probably a future podcast on this subject because i don't know about you guys i'll definitely i'm game to do another podcast how about you guys come on phil do a yes and batman yes (laughs) (laughs) oh awesome it's not superpowers it's finally honed human abilities come on you know why no one said anything they were afraid they were somehow going to make the blooper reel i'm fairly certain i already have (laughs) this is a touch mag production